Connects talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing BioNTech unveiling a modular mRNA vaccine factory and the FDA authorizing Eli Lilly's COVID-19 monoclonal antibody treatment. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story today about BioNTech's new BioNTainer. Now, you might be wondering what exactly that is. So BioNTech, of course, is one of the makers of the coveted mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. And so it recently announced just last week that it has a new vaccine manufacturing approach in Africa, where the company is going to be shipping modular factories called the Biontainer uh, to countries in the continent so that they can produce the vaccines um, on their own locally to help increase supplies. Now, this biontainer um, is actually contained in shipping containers, and they're equipped with state-of-the-art technology for the production of the mRNA vaccines from beginning to end, so start to finish, except for the final step, which is the fill and finish, and that will be performed by local manufacturing partners in the respective countries that they are shipped to. So this biontainer container solution will contain the active drug substance, so the mRNA uh, bioactive ingredient, and one formulation module. And each of the modules is called the uh, biontainer. So BioNTech announced the plans at a meeting that took place last week at its new manufacturing facility in Marburg, Germany. And the company was invited by the Keenup Foundation, which is a nonprofit public benefit organization that is currently representing BioNTech. And the meeting was attended by BioNTech's co-founders, um, as well as its COO, along with presidents of a couple of countries in Africa, including um, those of Senegal, Ghana, and Rwanda. And it was also attended by the Director General of the World Health Organization. So BioNTech said that the leaders discussed at the meeting that the infrastructure, regulatory, and technological requirements um, to establish an end-to-end manufacturing network for for mRNA-based vaccines in Africa um, and presented the BioNTainer as a solution for that. Again, the project is an attempt to help address um, the the consistent and constant vaccine inequities uh, that are continuing to plague the continent. So BioNTech's BioNTainers have a total footprint of 800 square meters uh, consisting of two modules. And each module contains six standard-sized containers Uh, which measure about 2.6 meters by 2.4 meters by 12 meters. So each biontainer is essentially a clean room um, equipped with the manufacturing 
uh, technologies needed for production of the mRNA vaccines. And the modular factories have an initial capacity of up to approximately 50 million doses of the BioNTech Pfizer uh, partnered COVID-19 vaccine each year. So 50, it has the capacity to produce 50 million doses a year. Um, and so countries in Africa um, are pretty excited about this new approach, um, including uh, the, president, uh, the president of the Republic of Rwanda, who supported BioNTech's um, innovative modular production system. And he said that it opens up a new horizon for global vaccine equity and that Rwanda looks forward to initiating mRNA vaccine manufacturing in the new near future in collaboration with BioNTech. Now, the BioNTech um, BioNTainers will not only be equipped to manufacture uh, just the COVID-19 vaccine, but also other mRNA vaccines as well to address um, specific needs in Africa. So, for example, it would be able to produce BioNTech's investigational malaria and tuberculosis vaccines as well. Um, and that is, of course, if they reach successful development and receive the appropriate approvals. So BioNTech CEO Uyghur Sahin said that, um, you know, while COVID might not be relevant in five, six, seven years, but we know, but he said that we know that mRNA is a new drug class, which is suitable for different types of vaccines. So this is, is essentially looking and thinking ahead. Uh, the capacity of the biontainers can be increased with the addition of more modules and addition of addition, uh, site, um, sites to the manufacturing network. Um, of course, quality control is a critical aspect of the manufacturing process, uh, which is why BioNTech is going to uh, not only deliver and install the modules, but it's also going to set, um, send staff to help get the biontainers up and running. And then they will slowly uh, shift over the technological know-how to local personnel. Now, the modular approach, according to BioNTech CEO uh, Sirk Hoedding, uh, said that it should be way cheaper than building a traditional factory. And so this is why BioNTech came up with this modular factory solution. Um, and the vaccines manufacturing that will be manufactured in the facilities will be targeted for domestic use, as well as export to other African Union member states at a not-for-profit price. Now, you know, if you take a look at some of the images of this biontainer, they act it actually looks pretty cool. And, you know, when I looked at it, I was like, wow, this looks um, really innovative, really neat that you have these modular factories. However, uh, there is some controversy around this because just before the unveiling of these modular container factories, the British Medical Journal actually published an article um, accusing BioNTech of um, basically trying to undermine the WHO's efforts to help companies in Africa make the COVID-19 vaccines themselves. And so it actually accuses BioNTech's consultancy firm, the Keynote Foundation specifically, for undermining those efforts. 
So in that article, um, the BMJ said, the British Medical Journal said that it had accessed documents that show Keenup being critical of the WHO's mRNA vaccine hub for Africa, which is currently working to help countries in Africa make COVID-19 vaccines locally. And in the documents, Keenup said that the venture is unlikely to be successful and will infringe on patents. So instead, Keenup was promoting BioNTech's mRNA container factories um, as an alternative solution. So basically, um, it seems like Keenup was pushing for these biontainers as opposed to helping the WHO or supporting its initiatives to set up traditional factories for the mRNA vaccine um, production there. Um, in addition, BioNTech has also proposed a new regulatory pathway for the approval of the vaccines that are made in the BioNTainer factories. So according to the BMJ article, the novel pathway has been described as paternalistic and unworkable by some experts, as it seems to bypass local regulators. Now, BioNTech had initially announced plans of building some kind of an mRNA vaccine production factory in Africa back in October 2021. And I remember I wrote about that, and they had actually quoted the same 50 million doses per year approximation for the number of doses that they could produce from this factory. And interestingly, it's the same estimation that they've given for the BioNTainer. So I think they were referring to the, to the same... Uh, solution, and it wasn't a conventional factory that they were looking to build in the first place. Uh, nevertheless, uh, again, as I mentioned, uh, African leaders are welcoming this portable biontainer vaccine factory and um, are looking forward to at least having an option to be able to produce the vaccines locally. So just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, there's more there's more to it than meets the eye really when it comes to this. Yeah, just looking at the photo that you have of the biointainer, it, it mm -hmm. looks like a big house. So it looks like a really big <laughs> two-story house. Um, yeah, like maybe like two sheds, big sheds put together or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. like a pretty like a pretty pretty well-sized house, you know, like a pretty yeah. big place. I'm just wondering, like, what would be the difference between this and like a traditional manufacturing facility besides the fact that, you know, a manufacturing facility would have more space? It seems like they're they're saying, like, listen, we have everything needed for production. We're going to ship, I guess, most of the raw materials they yep. need for manufacturing and production. Like, is a, manu is a traditional manufacturing facility just like more space and maybe more capabilities to produce maybe some yeah, reagents? Yeah, I, I would think the output would be obviously a lot higher, um, depending, of course, on the scale and the size of the factory. Also, um, you know, there would probably be, you know, be more, I don't want to say this, but like, you know, things like quality control and like a lot of those other things built into it, into a traditional factory. Um, that would be a lot more um, detailed as opposed to something like this. So I think this is one of the concerns that um, people are having with this biontainer. It's kind of like, and then especially when they also mentioned that uh, the regulatory approval process would be different. Um, it would perhaps be speedier, speedier, which just makes sense in a way, but it kind of brings to question, you know, are the same checks and balances going to be in place for this biontainer? as compared to a traditional factory. So, 
And then how would you regulate a biontainer like this? I don't, I don't know if there's ever been anything like this um, before. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm wondering if they, I'm wondering if their main or one of their motivations was to help with faster production, like getting the vaccines out quicker in Africa, but then mm-hmm. maybe also trying to find like a cheaper way to do that, you know, like as opposed to building like manufacturing facilities. Right. But yeah. um, at the end, I think at the end of this, maybe it will be more expensive if they have to go through all this like regulatory scrutiny. By the end of the day, maybe the, you know, bio solution may even be more pricier than just building a manufacturing plant if they have to like do so many quality control checks and like change this and or alter that. But we'll see. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I was actually a few weekends ago at a um, market in Toronto uh, that is just shipping containers and, uh, you know, people can go in them and, and whatever. And I was speaking to my friends and saying, is this really like a more sustainable or a better option? Because I feel like they are just... Uh, the you know the bones, um, but then you have to equip it with everything to make it feasible to right. in this case produce vaccines and and it's so true. Is it is it worth um, you know reusing? I mean, I don't even know why they would. It, I guess it's for shipping purposes, right? Just to make it easier mm-hmm. to ship. But that seems like kind of the only reason you would go with a shipping container as opposed to something, right. yeah, a little more uh, like legitimate, but. Right. I think they're trendy, honestly. I think it's kind of a, they're, they're going off of a trend. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah, that's just, uh, just something I thought about. Yeah. Also another downside of the bio container, like compared to a manufacturing facility, like maybe the bio container is only a solution for like five years or 10 years. And then they have to like make another one. Right. Like, I don't we know don't know the long... longevity of it. Right. Yeah. Like how often would it have to be replaced and, you know, what is its, I don't know, capacity limit until it needs to be replaced and things like that. So it's uh, it's quite interesting. And, you know, the whole controversy around it, too, like, is this BioNTech trying to exert, you know, control? We all know that Moderna and BioNTech have, you know, come under a lot of scrutiny and, and you know, been criticized for um, not addressing people's calls for patent waivers on these COVID-19 vaccines um, in order to make them more accessible to countries around the world. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, You know, we want to give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they're coming from a great, a good place and trying to really uh, help Africa increase and boost uh, production of their vaccines in a timely way. So these, these biontainers are going to be shipped like in a couple of months, but they won't be up and running until next year. So it's going to take a whole year for them to actually set them up and to get them fully functional. So I just wonder if, you know, they had gotten a head start on building an actual manufacturing facility, which again, like, so you hear Moderna and BioNTech, you know, Pfizer saying, oh, well, it's going to take too long to build a manufacturing facility, but it's like exactly how long, what are the details? So there's just a lot of sort of uncertainty there. And it does seem in a way that they do want to exert control over their vaccines, essentially. But we'll see uh, how things pan out. Um, but we do hope that it will help um, in many ways in terms of trying to address uh, the vaccine inequities in Africa. 
All right, so I'm going to move on to our next story for this episode. And this is also a COVID-related story. So the FDA has authorized Eli Lilly's new monoclonal antibody called Beptilovimab. Um, and this new monoclonal antibody drug demonstrates activity against the Omicron variant. So the FDA authorized the use of the drug, um, and it's indicated for adult and pediatric patients over the age of 12 who have mild to moderate COVID-19 and that are at high risk for developing severe disease. And so this version of Eli Lilly's uh, antibody drug against the SARS-CoV-2 virus is effective at neutralizing the Omicron variant of the virus. Now, last month, um, if you remember, the FDA actually revoked the emergency use authorization for Eli Lilly's monoclonal antibody cocktail of bemlenivimab and etisevimab because it wasn't effective against Omicron. And of course, Omicron makes up, I think, 100% of all COVID-19 cases in the U.S. now. So also Regeneron's antibody um, drug against COVID-19 was also stripped of its emergency use authorization on the same day for the same reason. So Eli Lilly came out with this new drug, and um, it's not actually authorized for patients who are hospitalized or who require oxygen therapy due to COVID-19. And this is because um, the drug wasn't studied in hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Um, The FDA said that that precaution was taken because monoclonal antibodies in general may be associated with with, uh, worse outcomes when administered to hospitalized patients with COVID-19, particularly those that require high flow oxygen therapy or mechanical ventilation. Now, Bebtilovimab is administered at a dose of 175 milligrams as an intravenous injection over a period of at least 30 seconds. So this dosage is actually smaller and faster to administer than the other COVID-19 antibody treatments that were previously authorized. Like other monoclonal antibodies, uh, this one also binds to the spike protein on the surface of the SARS-CoV-2 virus to to interfere and block its binding to um, the ACE2 receptor on human cells. So the monoclonal antibodies authorization was based on data from a randomized placebo-controlled phase two trial uh, that looked at the drug um, administered to, uh, to patients as a single dose or in combination with other monoclonal antibodies, namely the other two antibodies that Eli Lilly <clears throat> had authorization, uh, had received authorization from the FDA previously. And the results showed that among 380 low-risk patients enrolled in the trial that were given a single infusion of the treatment, either alone or in combination with the other antibody drugs, had a reduced time in resolution of symptoms compared to those that received placebo. Also, viral loads were seen to be lower five days following treatment in patients that received the drug compared to placebo. And also, in a cohort of high-risk patients, rates of hospitalization and death were lower 
uh, through day 29 among uh, 150 patients who received it alone or in combination with the other um, antibody drugs. So far, uh, the, um, this drug actually has been shown to have full neutralizing activity against Omicron based on preliminary results from lab studies. Um, and so, you know, given these promising results, the FDA said that um, it's hard to say, you know, the conclusions are limited because um, they don't have clinical trial data yet. Um, the trial data that they did base the authorization on actually comes from various trials that were conducted when there were different variants in circulation and when Omicron may not have been around or have been the dominant strain. So that's a consideration here as well. Um, however, despite this, the U.S. is Department of Human Health Services, the HHS, has come to a $720 million agreement for the drug. Um, and already it's purchased a total of 600,000 doses so far. According to the deal, Eli Lilly will deliver 300,000 courses of the treatment by the end of this month and an additional 300,000 by the end of March. And importantly, the HHS will make the treatment um, free of charge to all patients. So what are your thoughts on this new drug that um, may be effective against Omicron? Yeah, and were you surprised that the other two were completely revoked? Like they're completely banned and were taken off, taken out. Well, so. actually, yes, I was in a <clears throat> way. Um, but I guess that they know what they're dealing with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that the reason why they were banned was because, um, or the EUA was revoked is because, you know, it's not effective. Mm -hmm. And so is it misleading to give someone these antibodies if they won't be effective? You know what I mean? When instead yeah. we can give something that could be more um, effective and not waste any time. You know what I mean? Because I think if it comes to the stage where the patient needs to be hospitalized, then it's kind of too late to give the antibody treatment, right? Exactly. So this this specific treatment is actually indicated for patients with mild to moderate um, disease. And so to try to prevent that progression to severe disease. Yes, these patients would be yeah. have like some high risk factors. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at the speed at which they developed one for the Omicron Actually, variant. Yeah. But I, I, I read somewhere that um, that the scientists at Lilly were already working to develop like an, a monoclonal antibody for a potentially future variant, which has like way more mutations. So maybe they were they were obviously kind of prepared for this. Mm -hmm. I'm just surprised that I guess scientists maybe know how how the spike protein may mutate. Like maybe there's some mutations that can be predicted. Mm -hmm. yeah, I just don't I'm know. Not really how they sure did it. about that. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, most of the mutations we're seeing are occurring in the spike protein. So I guess yeah, they do have like sort of like an area which they're focused on. But you're right. Like I'm actually surprised too at how quickly they were able to develop this. Like I didn't even know, like usually they announce like, for example, with the COVID-19 vaccines, you know, Moderna and BioNTech, Pfizer, they were like, okay, we're working on a, an Omicron specific booster. Um, and we heard some other companies when Delta came out, you know, we heard that as well. Um, 
both for vaccines and monoclonal antibodies and other drugs as well. But for this, I, I didn't hear anything about it unless I missed it. But yeah, it seems like they were on the ball. And um, and I think in general, people are more receptive to treatments as opposed to vaccines, a certain small minority of, of people, as we talked about before on this podcast. But um, yeah, I think anything in the arsenal against Omicron um, would be great and looking forward to the uh, vaccines as well. It's like when an artist drops an album and they didn't tell you they were going to. <laughs> exactly. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but people love that. That sums it up. Everyone well. loves a good surprise. A good surprise. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is an excellent note to end off with and end off on. Um, so, yeah, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.